You're listening to Illini Life Audio, messages from a community of Christian believers on the campus of University of Illinois at Urbana-Champaign. For more audio and video content, visit IlliniLife.org. It's good to not see you this morning (laughs) because uh, you are on video somewhere, but you can see me. I'll do my best job to talk into the camera. Although the amazing crew here is not out there like I thought they always were. They're over there. So if I start talking like this, you'll know what's going on. Let me start with just sharing something very personal uh, that, that happened to me uh, as I was preparing for this message. Uh, because because it, was, it, was an, it was humbling. It was, it was scary. Uh, when I realized that in the video, since the video age, every high-impact Christian speaker has done a video on Palm Sunday sermon. Uh, <clears throat> n- name them all: Mac- Max Lucado, R.C. Sproul. Uh, I-, I thought actually at one point I would just ask Maddie to roll Billy Graham's message on Palm Sunday, or maybe Louis Palau. There's there's over ten thousand great sermons on Palm Sunday, and beyond that, every Every uh, thoughtful Christian writer, theologian uh, in Christian history uh, has has text on the web messages. And uh, so it was very humbling to think that that uh, Nick and Kyle had given me this opportunity to speak to you today, which I'm which I'm really thrilled about. So so let's pray and ask God to use me today. Lord. You chose to ride right into Jerusalem on a donkey, uh, and, and you've chosen to use uh, me to speak your word today. It's amazing, Lord. Uh, we, we, we know that this is how you work, that you, you use earthen vessels, uh, weak, feeble people, to speak your word. And I believe that your spirit is, is in each one of us listening today. And that you know what, exactly what we need. You know the food that we need for our soul to live a full life this week. And this is the way you've chosen to, to feed us. By looking at your word, by digesting it, by, by deeply thinking about it, by being motivated into action by it. And I pray all those things will happen today in these next few minutes. Amen. All right. First, I'm gonna I'm gonna ask you a question uh, that'll help me get some information and uh, and really target this message. Uh, let me tell you something that happened to me uh, recently. Most Fridays, I am in Chicago, uh, near downtown Chicago, uh, working at a dermatology clinic, uh, helping with their tech issues, which which is my job. So. Most Friday afternoons, I am driving right into the jaws of rush hour traffic on I-90 East. And as I'm driving, I get to the, I get to the, the, the fork between I-90 East Local, which is usually jammed up with cars, and I-90 East Express, which is usually open. And as I draw near that, that branch, uh, my, my Google co-pilot uh, says, stay left to take I-90 East, which I dutifully obey. <clears throat> but a couple weeks ago, as I approached that point, 
my, my co-pilot said, stay right to take I-90 local. I, I quickly glanced, and I-90 local was jammed up like it always is, and I-90 east was open like it always is, and I had my pulse raised. I had just a split second to choose which lane I was going to go in. So if you would have taken the advice of your co-pilot and gone I-90 local, raise your hand. Was that the one that was That's the one that's all clogged up, yes. All right, if you would have taken, followed your eyes and gone I-90 East Express, which was open, raise your hand. Or you could enter in the chat. All right, I see, I, I see. okay. I, I see, see where we're going with this. Uh, so thank you. And uh, so if you'd like to know what I did or what in the world this has to do with Jesus riding into Jerusalem on a donkey, uh, stick around. Stick around to the end of the message. Uh, so our challenge in the next 30 minutes is, is, going, to listen, is going to be to listen to, with fresh ears to a story that's so familiar. As a matter of fact, if I went out on campus and, and found, found a random person and said, okay, fill in the blanks for me, blank rides into a city on a donkey while the people wave blank and shout blank, what would they, what would they say? Whoa, Jesus, check. Okay, you already gave me the donkey, check. They're waving branches, palm branches, check. Okay, the last one's hard. What were they shouting? Hosanna, check. As a matter of fact, if there is another story uh, or incident in human history that, that can check those boxes in a different way, then I have a Starbucks gift card for you. Uh, I probably just lost a few of you. Uh, so, so let me know what that is or put it in the chat. So to break out of our familiarity with this story, let's, let's step back and just look at this, at this on the surface for a minute. Some some guy rides a borrowed donkey down a busy road along with throngs of other people and their animals going into the capital for a festival. But moments later, the entire city is stirred. Okay, that would be like a headline like this. Woman driving a hijacked Ford F-150 enters Washington, D.C. during Fourth of July festival while observers shout greetings. Moments later, city placed on high alert. Okay, that's clickbait for sure, right? <clears throat> this begs several questions. Who was the woman? Where did she come from? Why was she driving an F-150? What, what was the cargo that caused the city to be on high alert? So, like our story... At first, there's nothing unusual about a man riding a, a young donkey into a busy city. I mean, in India, I saw a man ride an elephant into a city, and no one, no one even blinked. You know, no big deal. But it's the reactions of the crowd and the city that leave questions that we'll try to answer in the next few minutes. These are the big questions we're going we're gonna to address. Why was Jesus entering Jerusalem on a donkey such a a big deal. What was Jesus thinking 
that made him borrow a donkey. And what was he trying to teach his disciples through this all? First, why was Jesus entering Jerusalem on a donkey such a big deal? Okay, let's put this, let's put this event in context. And, and I mean the big context, starting with the, with the grand arc of God's love for people. That's the story behind all human history and, and the main theme of the Bible. From the moment that man fell out of relationship with God in the garden, God had promised, Nick referred to recently, a serpent head crusher who would bridge that gap. In my life, we like to trace this story through the Old Testament, through Scripture, through the history of God's dealing with nations, the birth and history of Israel, its leaders and its prophets. Most recently, in the servant songs of Isaiah, we've, we've seen the narrative focus on a specific person, God's servant, who would be filled with the Spirit. And in obedience to God's plan, he would offer himself as a sacrifice to meet the just demands that humanity's rebellion called for and restore justice to the whole world. Finally, after thousands of years since God's promise to Adam and Eve, and after hundreds of years since God's promise to Israel, God's promised servant, the Messiah, his anointed one, is finally born. But curiously, in a feed trough. He, leaves in, he lives in relative obscurity for 30 years, working as a carpenter in the trade he learned from his father. Then he steps into the public eye as a young man, and he immediately begins to serve people, as the prophets foretold that God's servant would do. But after only about three years into this ministry, he chooses to travel from an area where he is gathering followers and having an impact and return to the heart of his enemy's influence, Jerusalem. Then he enters town riding a donkey to the shouts of a confused crowd who announce he is God's promised king arrived to take over. This plays right into his enemy's hands. They plot his death and a week later, he is brutally executed. So let's start with the first three verses of our story and see some details of how this plays out. Matthew 21.1 When they had approached Jerusalem and had come to Bethphage at the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village opposite you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied there and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord has need of them. And immediately he will send them. So here are some observations about the preparation for the ride into Jerusalem. First, the disciples are not named. Cool. They get their reward in heaven and not on earth. Jesus has them bring the mother along with the colt. Having never been ridden, the colt would be calmed by its mother's presence in the crowd. It's, it's cool to think also that Jesus had 
possibly planned the use of these animals during a previous trip to the region. So the Lord has need of them might have been a prearranged code. Mark and Luke explained the owners and others released the animals when they heard these words. So all of the planners among us should be validated, feel validated at this point. So, so far, this seems innocuous enough, but let's, let's jump to the outcome in verse 10 and 11 of our passage. When he had entered Jerusalem, all the city was stirred, saying, who is this? And the crowds were saying, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth in Galilee. So what happened in that interval? What caused the city to be stirred? Where did the crowd even come from that followed him? Many in the crowd would have heard of Jesus because he raised Lazarus from the dead in a nearby city not long beforehand. And the reaction of the Pharisees to that event showed that they, had, they knew who Jesus was and they had become desperate to silence him. In John it records, Therefore the chief priests and Pharisees convened a council and were saying, What are we doing? For this man is performing many signs. If we let him go on like this, all men will believe him and the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. It also records they were seeking Jesus and were saying to one another as they stood in the temple, What do you think? That he will come to the feast at all? Now the chief priests and the Pharisees had given orders that if anyone knew where he was, he was to report it so that they might seize him. They thought Jesus might come by stealth, and so they put out the word, an APB, on him. So the explanation for the stirring of the city is really the reaction of the crowd to seeing Jesus. And what we know about that is expressed in the words that we sang a while ago. In Matthew 21, the crowds going ahead and those following after were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. In Mark it records, Hosanna. Blessed he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. So Hosanna was a transliteration of the Hebrew word in Psalm 118, verse 25, or, or maybe the Aramaic version. Do save, or save now. It was more of an acclamation than a supplication. It wasn't a prayer for salvation, but a proclamation of salvation. This fits with the expectations of the crowd that they express. The promised Messiah King, his kingdom, they've arrived. We're being saved right now. This was an expression intended to give honor. But the effect of it was agitating his enemies even more than they already were. Psalm 118 says, The stone which the builders rejected, which was going on at this very moment, has become the chief cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing. It's marvelous in our eyes. This, this is the day which the Lord has made. This day, our king showing up to take over. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. O oh Lord, do save. Save now, we beseech you. O oh Lord, we beseech you. Send prosperity. Luke says, blessed is the king 
who comes in the name of the Lord, they shouted. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And so we know that these words were interpreted as threats by the rulers. Because it says in Luke commenting on this says, Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. But Jesus answered, I tell you, if these become silent, the stones will cry out. In John, their reaction is noted. The Pharisees said to one another, You see that you are not doing any good. Look, the whole world has gone after him. So I love this. The Pharisees are pointing fingers at each other for not solving this problem earlier. And their jealous hearts at losing their following are revealed. All right, how about our second question? What was Jesus thinking that made him choose a donkey? In verse 4 of our text, it says, This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, gentle and mounted on a donkey, even on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. Jesus knew that he was fulfilling the words of the prophet Zechariah in chapter 9, verse 9 of our Bibles, where the donkey represents the man of peace coming in peace. In contrast, in that passage with the chariots and horses that were identified as instruments of war, he came as a man of peace. This aligns with Jesus' silence before his accusers. The description of the animal is as a beast of burden, a common animal, a chore animal, not a ribbon winner at the state fair. And Jesus was described as having no stately form or majesty that we should look upon him. Twice in Matthew and in Mark, Jesus had said, that he came not to be served, but to serve and give his life. He came to do work, just like the donkey he rode on. So our third question, what was he trying to teach his disciples? What does he want us to learn from what was happening that day? So let's, let's go back into the heart of our passage and look at how the event unfolded starting in verse 6. The disciples went and did just as Jesus had instructed them. And they brought the donkey and the colt, and they laid their coats on them, and he sat on the coats. Most of the crowd spread their coats in the road, and others were cutting branches from the trees and spreading them in the road. The crowds going ahead of him and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. So most of the crowd showed honor by throwing off their coats. But to Jesus, this was not a triumphal entry. He knew that he was deliberately walking into a trap by announcing that he had come to take over the crowd was springing the trap. Now his enemies were truly provoked, and they had Jesus in their sights. 
except the trap was really not set for him. He was setting a trap for his accusers, and ultimately the accuser of the brethren, Satan. He, he came as the bait, and by executing him, his enemy would experience ultimate defeat. The joke was on them. By Jesus allowing himself to be put on public display, Satan himself would be revealed and disarmed. It explains this in Colossians chapter 2, verse 15. It says, When Jesus had disarmed the rulers and authorities, he made a public display of them, having triumphed over them. Jesus was moving his enemies to crucify him right on time. And when we got on the colt, he lit a fuse that would burn for a week and it would explode in the grief and rejection of the cross. Jesus' statement that no one could take his life but that he lay it down willingly began when he got on the donkey to ride into Jerusalem. From that moment, there was no turning back. This was another pivotal moment when Jesus faced the temptation, the final temptation that the devil had presented to him in the 40 days of fasting in the desert, just over three years earlier. Remember, Matthew recounts, again, the devil took him up to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory and said to him, all these things I will give you if you fall down and worship me. Jesus was presented with a crown by the audience, by the, the crowd that day. But he knew he was not going to accept it. He knew he was going to take a different road. And just as he told the devil in Matthew 4, Go, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. When earlier... He had expressed to his disciples that he was going to go and suffer and be killed and be raised up. Remember, Peter, Peter rebuked him and said, no, this will never happen. This, this shouldn't happen to you, Jesus. And what did Jesus say? He said, get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on God's interests, but man's. Man's interests. That day was on, on that day were to make him king. But God's interests were for him to lay down before his enemies and be crucified for us. So I want to emphasize here how deliberate Jesus was that day that he chose to ride a donkey into Jerusalem. Let me highlight that by a prophecy that's in Daniel chapter 9. In Daniel chapter 9, verse 24 through 26, the prophet states the exact date in history that the Messiah would appear and be cut off. 
I learned about this several years ago when I, when I studied Daniel and the prophecies. And let me introduce you now to an author, Sir Robert Anderson, who is a, a theologian, historian in Britain in the 1800s. He wrote a book called The Coming Prince. And in this book, he, he does the math to show that from the date that Daniel said in, math, in, in Daniel chapter 9, un, <clears throat> until the day that Jesus rode into Jerusalem was the exact number of years that he would predict. Now, <clears throat> Robert Anderson took the best that he could from, from known history, the best that he could do from dating the events of the Old Testament, the best he could do in terms of dating the life of Christ. And he did the math to show that Jesus rode into Jerusalem on the exact day that Daniel had predicted. Well, there's no way that we can know for sure. But it's, but it's exciting to realize that Jesus knew that prophecy in Daniel. And three days before, just shortly before he arrived, and I think this is what Jesus was referring to in Luke 13, just at that, it says, just at that time, some Pharisees approached, saying to him, go away, leave here, for Herod wants to kill you. And he said to them, go and tell that fox, behold, I cast out demons and performed cures today and tomorrow, and the third day I reach my goal. Nevertheless, I must journey on today and tomorrow and the next day, for it cannot be that a prophet would perish outside of Jerusalem. Now, Daniel, excuse me, before I leave that <laughs> prophecy, is, is one of the more controversial prophets in the Old Testament, let's say. And there are definitely schools of thought about when it was actually written because of the accuracy and the specificity of the prophets. So uh, this led uh, Robert Anderson to write, write another book, Daniel in the Critics' Den, in which he answers some of the criticisms uh, of, a, of an early dating for the book of Daniel. And it, it, the controversy uh, continued uh, to the current day, which led Josh McDowell, uh, who's been an apologeticist uh, for a decades, um, initially with Campus Crusade, uh, write a follow-up, Daniel and the Critics' Den. So if you really want to get into uh, Old Testament criticism and, and see some uh, pretty solid answers, I, could, I commend these books to you. So Jesus knew Daniel's prophecy. He knew the exact date that he was to show up. Also, bef just before he began this, this return to Jerusalem to set off these events, he'd begun to plainly state and emphasize to his disciples what was going to happen. Mark says, And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. Luke records the same thing. So he was, he was trying to prepare his disciples for what was going to happen. Another way we see his deliberateness 
was that he stated the road to the cross was to be an example for all of us. In Matthew 16, Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone wishes to come after me, if anyone wishes to come after me, from this point on, anyone wishes to follow me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Mark 8, similarly, he summoned the crowd. Now it's the crowd. It's not just his disciples. And he said to them, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. And in Luke, he says, he, he adds, he, he was saying to them all, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. So before he would be crowned as king, Jesus chose the path to the cross. And that's the big idea. The big idea of this story that I want to leave with you today is that Jesus, by getting on the donkey and riding into Jerusalem, springing in the trap that was going to ultimately, inevitably lead to his death, he chose the cross instead of the crown. The big idea is that the cross comes before the crown. Loss comes before gain. Giving before receiving. Humility before honor. The cross comes before the crown. So he challenged his disciples, which we are, to take up their cross. Do you have a cross? Are you on a hard road? What, what is your cross? What is a cross? What is a cross anyway? A cross is, is not just one of the many hardships or sufferings that we go through in life. It's not, it's not uh, having shingles. Uh, it's not the sufferings that we have because we're in a, in a fallen world. It's, uh, it's not the things that we all experience because the world is broken and our friends, coworkers, family leaders, and ourselves turn out to be sinners. That's not the cross. A cross, a cross is a deliberate path of service we choose that may not even be recognized by those we serve, but it involves giving up our rights, our rights to our time, our stuff, even our very lives, in order to accomplish the mission that brought Jesus into the world, into Jerusalem on the colt and to the cross. It's giving up our rights, the hardest thing in the world for us to give up. That's our cross. Do you have a cross today? Where are you giving up your rights? Your rights to your time. Your rights to your preferences. Your rights to what you want, what's comfortable for you. Your rights to a world that's shaped like you want. Where are you giving up your rights to serve others that they can be led to Christ? So what is this mission? What is this mission that we, 
give up our rights for? What is this mission that, that we take up our cross for? The mission that we continually communicate here at iLife is to bring men and women back into relationship with God. The God who made them, the God who demonstrated his love in the most passionate and potent way possible. That's the mission. That's the mission that causes us to take up a road of service, a path of service that is our cross. And as Luke said, to do it daily. So daily we, we all face two roads. Just like Jesus when he got on the donkey that day. One road leads to Jerusalem where there's risk, there's danger, there's loss. One road leads back home to Galilee and safety. So, so which road are you on? What road do you want to be on? Jesus said, if anyone wishes to come after me. He made carrying a cross a voluntary action. If anyone wishes to come after me. So where, where is God maybe asking you to choose the cross before the crown? Where is he asking you to give up your rights, your preferences, what you deserve for the sake of others? For the sake of bringing them back into relationship with God? Where is God asking you to do that? If you make that choice, if you make the choice to take the hard road, if you make the choice to do the humble thing, get on, get on the donkey, get on whatever chore animal God has given you to ride. Make that choice and you'll experience friendship with the Prince of Peace who took that road. Would you take the hard road or the easy road? Would you take I-90 East local? Or would you take I-90 East Express? Okay. So, I'm not asking you to trust Google here. Uh, <clears throat> thankfully, we don't have to do that. I did. And I'm sorry. <laughs> I'll be faced with that choice again, I'm sure. So, I am asking you to follow the advice that God gave to his servant in Isaiah chapter 50. In the servant song, God gave his servant this advice. This is the advice Jesus had in his heart the day that he got on the donkey and rode into Jerusalem. The day they laid him on a cross and drove nails in his hands and feet. This is his advice. This is the, the advice that the Father gave the Son. This is the advice that, that he's giving us today. Isaiah 50, he says, Who is among you that fears the Lord, that obeys the voice of his servant, that walks in darkness and has no light? Let him trust in the name of the Lord and rely on his God. So, I'm asking you to do what Jesus did that day. 
when he mounted the donkey into Jerusalem. Because I believe God is calling all of us to deliberately take the hard road of laying down our lives so that others can experience the life Jesus died to give them. My brothers and sisters in Christ, let's take that road together. Let's pray.